Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast and with me today is Jared Wilson. Jared, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Dave, thanks so much for having me again, brother. Yeah, man. I I, did, I can't believe it's been a little over two years since, I, since I've had you on. I, I know you've written quite a few books, um, so thank you for those. I, I love reading what you write, so... Yeah, yeah, I was looking at the uh, the Skype uh, chat and trying to figure out what the date was, so it was two years ago, huh? Yeah, it was like August 14th of 2017, wow. yeah. Yeah, I've written about 10 books since then. So. Yeah, yeah, you're like <laughs> voluminous, like I know we were just talking about, like, how do you do that? Like, everybody wants to know, I know you get that question a lot, but... Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm in the job of content production, so yeah. you know, part of it is just you know, you could, when you're when you're when you're speaking a lot uh, and you're writing a lot, they kind of they feed into each other sometimes. So sometimes what I'm asked to talk about, or I'm I'm do I do a fair amount of uh, ministry coaching these days and a little bit of con, you know consulting with churches, and so I you know in, ending up in those contexts and helping pastors and ministry leaders kind of work through different issues. Things come to the surface where I think, oh, that that really is something that you know maybe should be addressed, or that's something that I'm spending a lot of time thinking about. And if I'm already spending a lot of time thinking about a particular issue or question um, in relation to kind of the public ministry, sometimes that kind of you know feeds into you know what might be a book project, or you know sometimes you know a lot of times it's, it, it, those things just end up being. Uh, blog posts and those sorts of things but sometimes you know there's something sustainable enough that I feel like you know there really you know might be an opportunity for a book on on, on this so that's kind of how things like uh, Gospel Driven Church came about and things like that yeah that's really wonderful to hear I I, I, I think it's wonderful that the when people write from a place of like you're wanting to minister to people and you just want to help them and you can definitely see that in your writing so I, I really appreciate that yeah thank you brother that's encouraging mm-hmm. can you uh, just catch us up on what's been going on you, I know you shared about your your writing and those things but what's going on in your life marriage ministry and some of the current ministry projects you're working on yeah we're doing really well um, my wife Becky and I celebrated 23 years of marriage this summer my uh, we have two daughters both of whom are teenagers our oldest daughter uh, had her freshman year of college this year um, she, she actually just got home this past Tuesday night for the uh, for the Christmas break uh, at the time that we're recording this. Uh, so we're looking forward to having her home. But uh, yeah, so things that, you know, we're just sort of adjusting to kind of the, the onset of a new season. Our younger daughter's a junior in high school. So, you know, older kids, one, out, you know, away at school and um, just kind of uh, adjusting to that and enjoying life there. Uh, I work at Midwestern Seminary. I, I'm about to begin my fifth year there very soon. In early summer, I transitioned from uh, the communications department Department where I was managing editor of the website for the church, director of content strategy. I transitioned to, to faculty full time, so uh, I'm, I'm beginning to, to teach in the, at the undergrad at the college, which is uh, Spurgeon College, which is Midwestern Seminary's undergrad um, arm. And I teach pastoral ministry 
history and um, some classes on writing and that kind of thing and uh, pursuing my doctorate there as well so um, getting uh, credentialed to be, begin teaching at the seminary level uh, very shortly mainly in the pastoral ministry arena and I, I get to serve as author in residence at the seminary as well so part of, uh, of being able to be productive as a writer is you know, having an institution having an employer who kind of draws a circle around the stuff that you're already passionate about <laughs> and just says keep doing that we want you to run in that lane we believe it it, it serves the church we believe that it serves the institution and um, so it's great so, you know this is a, a few changes in the last sort of year or so uh, for us but uh, all of them really positive and, and we're just really looking forward to kind of the next season of ministry that's really wonderful I, I, I love that you're uh, getting to, to focus on writing and, and that's really cool What what's your uh, going to be your uh, PhD or DMIN? Yeah, it's a DMIN, Doctor of Ministry. Right now, the working sort of uh, project idea that I've been that that I'm pursuing and I've been encouraged to to stick with is sort of a, a look at the the homiletics of Lemuel Haynes, who was a uh, colonial era uh, Congregationalist minister in Vermont and upstate New York. Historically, he's really significant. He he's he was the first black pastor uh, of an all white congregation. He's the first ordained black man in America. Um, there's a, a few other notable things about him, sort of culturally, but he, he leaves behind sort of a, a, a small body of work in kind of the new divinity tradition. He's sort of a, a devotee of uh, Jonathan Edwards and, and George Whitfield. He's kind of in that in that vein. And yet, as an African American, he, he has a particular outlook to sort of channel the uh, the kind of reformational uh, or, or Puritan theology. And uh, and so I, I've, I've really benefited from his focus on the kingdom and. And the particularly uh, the theologically sound and gospel-centered way he speaks to justice issues, uh, which uh, in his day had a lot uh, to do with sort of you know the colonies emergence from Britain, but also um, the abolition of slavery. And so I'm trying to look at um, his preaching as a model for um, biblically sound preaching to uh, or preaching about the kingdom and, and kind of the political cultural context here. So that's kind of the working project. I, that um, seems to be what, what people like, you know, would like me to do, but we'll see. It, it has more of a PhD flavor to it. So, you know, part of the demon approach is being able to measure or evaluate because it's, you know, it's a, it's a professional doctorate. So it's kind of the, you know, you have to be able to kind of quantify and and not just pure, you know, uh, philosophy or, or theory. Um, so figuring out how to turn that corner has been kind of the sticky thing for me. Yeah, that that sounds that sounds like a PhD pro. Uh, <laughs> project so yeah. yeah well hey man can you uh tell us about uh this book that comes out here soon the gospel according to satan eight lies about god that sound like truth why why did you write this and how do you hope it'll be received yeah so the genesis of the book um began in a barnes and noble i was looking at in the religion section of a um you know of a uh, you know a brick and mortar a bookstore i just sometimes like to see kind of what stores are selling uh what the average person if they wander into a religion section, uh, what that might look like to them. And I came across this title by uh, William Paul Young, who's the guy who wrote The Shack. That's what he's best known for, is The Shack, which is a worldwide bestseller, became a movie, has some really wonky uh, Trinitarianism uh, in it, you know, has a reflection of some kind of, uh, you know, heretical beliefs about the Trinity and, and 
uh, that sort of thing. But it was a nonfiction book, and I didn't even know the guy who wrote nonfiction. You know, admittedly, I don't know too much about about Young, but I came across this book that he had written. It was a new book, and it was a nonfiction book, and it was positioned as lies people believe about God. That was kind of the general working idea of it. And I thought, okay, what does William Paul Young think are, are lies about God? And so I opened up the book and I began to peruse it there at, uh, in the bookstore. And the chapters are really short. There's there's, there's uh, numerous chapters, probably almost 30 or more. And um, each chapter is probably about three or four pages long or so. And I mean, look at the table of contents of these things that, that he is calling lies. And some of them really were lies. There are things that I would agree, uh, yeah, that's not true. Uh, but there was a um, quite a few things that actually uh, were not lies at all. Things um, like, you know, you, you, you don't have to be saved. You know, the cross is about wrath and, and different things like that, where I thought, man, th- these are things that the Bible teaches that this guy is saying is a lie. And immediately I just thought, you know, if the devil wrote a book, <laughs> it, it, it would it would look like this. And suddenly the light bulb went off for me, which was, okay, if the devil did write a book, uh, you know, for Christians, what would be some things that he would say in it? And that really just got the wheels turning for me um, in terms of, um, you know, what are some things that Christians may be inclined to believe or tempted to believe that uh, are really lies about God? They sound like the truth. You know, most most believers would be able to see clear heresy or, you know, false teaching um, if it was explicit right away. Um, but it's it's these subtle things that you know that I say in the subtitle that sound like the truth or have a ring of truth to them that are the most dangerous things, right? Because the devil masquerades as a as an angel of light, and so he he, he will use a little bit of truth or a little bit of um, you know reality mixed in with his delusion or his deception uh, to make it more palatable to us. He puts the he puts the poison in the candy, so to speak. And so that's what the book does is really work through eight eight things that some Christians may be tempted to believe, or even things that we say somewhat um, either culturally or within the church that have a ring of truth to them but actually contain really dangerous teaching yeah what are what are, what's like the biggest one that you think is is the one where it's like hey that that's one that we really have to pay attention to yeah I think um, I don't know if it's the it's the most common but um, the one that I wanted to kind of take head on I, I have it as line number seven it's chapter seven in the book is about penal substitution I know you wanted to talk about that we don't have to you know talk about it right away but let's do it that was yeah I mean that's something that 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 William Paul Young talks about in his book um, where he's denying basically that the cross is about wrath, has anything to do with, with God's wrath. And that's not an aberration. It's, it's, it's becoming very common among the so-called progressive evangelicals. Um, I mean, it's, a, it's you know, it's a it's a mainstay of, of Protestant liberalism. You know, it's it's, it's uh, very common in kind of the mainline traditions, but it's beginning to make some inroads into evangelicalism. You know, so I tell a story in the chapter about uh, a student at a Bible college who came up to me who kind of wanted to de- you know debate that issue, and I just thought, man, ten years ago, it would be it'd be very difficult to find anyone who identified as an evangelical who would even question at all that the cross is about God, about Christ's sacrifice satisfying the wrath of God. And yet here we are now in 2019, 2020, and we're having to defend the age-old foolishness of the cross. And so that I think is probably the most important. Uh, again, I, I don't know that it's the most common, but it maybe is the most vital, um, if, you know, because if we get the cross wrong, if we get the atonement wrong, um, 
you know, we lose Christianity. Absolutely. I agree. You know, I think it goes back to like the emergent church and, you know, that whole conversation and, you know, wanting to have a conversation about discipleship. And then, you know, you don't have doctrine, you know, because they, they have different ideas about what the foundations of the faith are. You know, and right. I think they would reject. I, I believe they've rejected Christianity. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, just just yesterday, um, I ended up in a little Twitter kind of, um, not really an argument, but and I and I wasn't trying to. So I, a friend of mine uh, replied to a question that someone had put up, which was basically, "Can Christians uh, deny the virgin birth, or do you have to be? Uh, do you have to agree with the virgin birth to be a Christian, or something like that?" Um, uh, or no, actually, it was just asked. Uh, uh, if you're a Christian, do you believe in the virgin birth? <laughs> it was like a poll. And, uh, and uh, you know, I had a friend of mine respond to it. And then I was respond. I was trying to just reply to my friend. I wasn't trying to include the other, you know, the original person who I don't, you know, know, uh, know who they are. Um, but I ended up including the other person just by clicking reply. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and essentially to say, this question would have made no sense to our theological forefathers. You know, like, can you be a Christian and deny the virgin birth? Because the virgin birth is, a, is an essential tenet of, of Orthodox Christianity. It's in, it's in the oldest creed, <laughs> uh, you know, a bit, uh, uh, that we have. It is creedal Christianity that, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And so that today, 2,000 years later, we're kind of like, well, you know, we can kind of, you know, throw that little bit out because it, it, it just doesn't make sense to us or it doesn't have any, you know, uh, yeah, you know, defies logic. Or, so it's just it's kind of this like buffet mentality um, to orthodoxy. And, and so this woman, of course, she saw my reply, which I wasn't attending her you know, for her to see. But I, you know, I just decided to engage her. But she was saying that no, you know, that, that no, you know, that you and I don't get to decide who's who's a real Christian or not. And I readily agree with her. <laughs> uh, you know, that you and I, you know, we can decide freely what we want to believe, but we do not have the option of calling this sort of tailored, individualistic, you know, selection of beliefs Christianity because Christianity. Is something that, that that has been defined by the scriptures and the tradition for two thousand years now, and the virgin birth and the the the, the trinity and the incarnation, and the, you know, and the uh, deity of Christ, all of that. Those are uh, essential things that we don't get to mess around with, and then say that our little you know buffet religion is is Christianity. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think some of these things are really pressing even today, you know, as they always have been. Yeah, absolutely. This kind of gets to your, your discussion in, in your book about, you know, my truth versus God's truth. You know, we, we live in God's universe and so we have to live by, uh, his truth whether that that's true for whether we're a Christian or not, we'll all be ultimately held accountable by him. Um, but specifically related to Christians, why is living by my truth cause disobedience issues in our Christian lives? Yeah. Well, because, you know, we, we have the freedom to decide what we want to believe, but we don't have the freedom to decide what reality is. <laughs> you know, there, there is an objective uh, reality, which even irreligious people at some point have to, you know, agree with at least, you know, subconsciously or implicitly. Uh, otherwise, you couldn't get on with life, you know, if, you did, if, just everything, if, if everything was relative and everything was subjective, um, we're wasting a lot of time talking about 
you know, injustice or, you know, worrying about uh, human suffering, all those sorts of things. But the fact that that's a, a universal human experience, that even irreligious people mourn the loss of loved ones or have an innate sense of something being wrong, either morally or, or ethically, um, all of that points to the reality that there is a centering truth. There is a re- there is an objective reality out there. And of course, as Christians, we know that that quote-unquote reality is the living God, the one true God from whom everything good emanates. He is the creator of all things. And so the idea that you can live your truth um, only makes sense in a sort of privately ordered world, but it doesn't make sense in a world in which uh, you are not the center of the universe, that there is an objective reality. So one of the things we talk about in that chapter is, is, is basically that we don't get to define you know, our, our own reality. We don't get to define truth. We have to either uh, believe it or not believe it, but we don't get to decide what it, what it actually is. You write on page 79, many of us find our theology closer at hand in the onset of pain. It is when the pain prolongs that we begin to wrestle with it. You know, I think that's a really important point. I think many people struggle with that. How do we help people to hold on to the promises of God at a heart level amid deep pain? Yeah, well, we might need others um, to kind of hold on for us or or hold on to us, maybe. Um, Because for one thing, it's just very difficult if you're alone listening to your own pain to kind of talk yourself into the truth. I think it's a dynamic we see in Psalm 42, which is maybe my favorite psalm related to what we might call depression. It looks like, you know, the experience of depression, spiritual depression at least. And the psalmist there has this dialogue with himself. And I think it's really speaking to the reality that when when you're in the midst of deep pain, not just depression, but even just physical suffering that goes on and on. And the temptation, the tendency is just to turn kind of in on ourselves and kind of rehearse our own uh, you know, certainly our own suffering, but also to, to begin to kind of fabricate our own theology of suffering in the midst of that. And we end up sometimes thinking things like, well, God doesn't love me, or, you know, otherwise this wouldn't be happening to me, or have I done something wrong and he's punishing me for this? And those are just sort of, you know, intermediary steps to maybe there's not a God, maybe this is meaningless, is this going anywhere? And, or if there is, he's, you know, he, he, he doesn't care about me or he is uncaring, he's not personal, something like that. And so when you're just kind of alone in your in your own in your own pain, um, the, the pain can sort of create a funhouse mirror effect for our own thinking. And so it's always helpful, um, whether we feel it's helpful or not, to have believers around us who can enter into our suffering with us and um, be able to point us um, to the truth of the gospel and the goodness of God and um, and pray for us and, 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 and care for us. So I think if we're able to connect with people who are hurting, who are suffering, and just be present in their lives, you know, that sometimes goes a very, very long way for people to, to not feel alone. To, and there's something about the presence of a Christian who is willing to enter the kind of, you know, the the orbit of suffering of someone that communicates the presence of God um, to them. Um, but I just think, um, you know, what we what we have to do is, is be able to help uh, people see the encouragement of the scriptures. Um, because the, the, the truth in the Bible doesn't change, right? Our feelings change, our minds change, uh, our bodies change, but the Bible doesn't change. And so that's really important to focus on when, when suffering seems to last forever. Yeah, that's really good. And, and, and as you do that, just to touch on that even more, like you're going to be a safe person 
um, to talk with other people if you're holding on to the promises of God yourself. That's right. And and other people are going to be attracted to that, whether they're Christian or not. So that's really, really well said. You write about your struggle with porn in, in this book. What are, what are some keys for you to get to the, what, what have been some of the keys, to, I should yeah. say, to, to get to the place of being porn free and staying there, brother? Yeah. Yeah. Just to clarify, uh, I, I don't struggle with porn today. <laughs> <laughs> when yeah. I write about my struggle, uh, this this is this is something in the past, um, and my answer is really similar to kind of the last question. Um, uh, you know, personally for me, getting free was precipitated by kind of my life falling apart and everything bottoming out for me, and my life becoming a wreck. And the Lord kind of used the that wreckage, the brokenness, um, you know, the rotten fruit of my own sin to kind of wake me up, um, and and that's what I, you know sat. Well, I wouldn't say sadly, but um, the, the the truth is, for a lot of people, that's what it takes. They um, for them to finally come out of this bondage, they almost have to experience um, you know the utter wreckage of it. The, they have to kind of come to the end of their rope. But in general, um, repentance, whether of this sin or any other pattern of sin, um, you know, it doesn't have to be pornography; it can be something else. But repentance means not just turning from the thing, but turning to something which, of course, is, is, is Jesus, right? So if you're just tra- trying to trade behaviors around, you're kind of moving this, you know, the chairs around on the, uh, you know, on the Titanic, so to speak. Um, uh, Thomas Chalmers is, a, is an old dead, uh, old dead guy who wrote a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And essentially he's saying, you know, if you're just trying to change, you know, trade behavior for behavior, um, you can just you know, trade idolatries around, basically. And, and some idolatries are more socially acceptable than others. But if you really want to turn from idolatry, from a sin that is really a, <clears throat> a pattern of worship, you, you have to have something more powerful replace it. And so he says that that power is the gospel, right? So um, in the matter of pornography specifically, what you're staring at matters. What you're looking at shapes you. Uh, it, 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 it wires your brain. <clears throat> it wires your heart. And so the author of Hebrews says we need to we need to fix our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that it's by looking at the glory of Jesus that we are transformed. There's something about uh, beholding Jesus that changes us spiritually. What we behold, in a sense, is what we become. So we have to replace the vision that captivates us in pornography with a surpassing vision of beauty and glory, uh, which is the glory of Jesus Christ. Um, so there's, you, you know, you know, obviously several practical things that somebody can do um, if he or she is really serious about repentance. Um, but the main one is you, you cannot take your eyes off Christ because um, it, it's impossible to be staring at Christ and have your heart occupied um, with with you know puny things of of sin yeah that's really good um i i also um am porn free um i have been porn free for 14 years and um recognizing at the time i i recognized i was just thinking about my sin and and i just realized you know what i'm really this is really selfish like I'm, I'm serving. I'm literally serving my own flesh and my own desires, and I'm serving. Then I started thinking. Then I'm, I'm, I'm but I'm preaching this message of the gospel and all these things. And uh, yeah, this is this is not good. And I and then around there, bam, the light went off, and the Holy Spirit, um, you know, convicted me, and, and that and that really hurt. Like I, I still remember that. Um, yeah. And, and I, and I haven't struggled. Like I gave up, I was even drinking at the time as well, like a lot. 
not just moderation. We're talking like yeah. outside of way outside of moderation. And yeah, like, wow. Um, and I was a mess and people were speaking into my life and I wasn't listening and, and it, it was not good. But the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and I haven't had any desire for that since. Like any, either, even for alcohol, like I don't even, I don't. I don't have a problem with people drinking in moderation, but I don't even drink anymore. Like I, I, I don't even have any desire for it yeah. uh, at all. And Excellent. you know, it's a, uh, it's a hard thing. You know, people ask, well, how do you, how do you get to that place? I, I just, you know, <laughs> if you're that person, you know, somebody struggling with, just keep talking to them, keep sharing the truth with them. And yeah. uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is really good at <laughs> at convicting people. I'm 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 proof of that. So just just keep being faithful. Yeah, that's good. How do you how do we have uh, how do we have right awareness of the accuser's strategies by considering what's written in our folder? Uh, yeah, the folder. So you're referring to uh, I, I talk about in the book. Uh, a friend of mine said to me uh, that the devil has a folder on me. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, and inside, uh, inside that folder, he has, um, exactly what it will take, uh, to get me to fall every day. He is working every day. He is working that angle, um, to, to get me uh, away from my security in Christ. Yeah. So having the right awareness of those strategies, um, is really important. So essentially it's, it's, it's about self-awareness, right? So most people, um, have an idea of how the devil might get in to their own life. And a lot of it has to do with something like uh, doctrine, right? I got to believe the right things because he, he will want me to, you know, believe heresy or something like that. So we, we lock up that door really tight. We, we study hard. We listen to the right people and read the right books. And, and we make sure that our theology is, is, uh, is as airtight as we can get it. And so we just, we shore up that door. And then we have an idea that maybe, you know, it's going to be some really conspicuous sin. You know, certainly the devil uh, would, you know, would love to get us into sexual immorality or, or something like that. And so we shore up the kind of the morality door really tight and we lock it all up and we kind of fold our arms and we think, man, I, I did it. I got, you know, I've really locked up these doors. <clears throat> and what we don't realize is that there are, uh, you know, uh, numerous doors into our hearts and the devil will take any one that he can. And so having a, a good sense of awareness, having our head on a swivel, uh, you know, so to speak, you you got to shore up the doctrinal door. you got to shore up the morality door. Um, but if he can get into your anxiety, if he can get into your, your, your insecurity, if he can get into a wound from the past, if he could, the devil will take any door he can to get into your life. And so um, knowing what's in your folder is really just about knowing, like, okay, what is it um, that I'm not protecting? What am I very vulnerable to? Um, and, 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 and realizing that our enemy wants to destroy us. Our enemy is real. He is prowling the earth um, like a hungry lion seeking someone to devour. And, and he will devour us if, if, he's, you know, if he can. Um, he certainly would like to take a big chunk out of us. So um, it's really just about having an awareness of our own weakness, having a sense of, um, of, of self-awareness. Um, and sometimes that has to come through people close to us, um, you know, being vulnerable in Christian community to say, hey, like, what are my blind spots? What are some things that I don't even know that I'm doing um, that, that might make me vulnerable to the enemy? Um, you know, some 
people, they give off the appearance of humility, and it's really a false sort of pride or, or uh, a martyr's complex or some sort of narcissism, right? Or some people are very strong leaders, and they actually have a very uh, explicit kind of pride or arrogance. And, uh, you know, there's just so many different footholds that the devil would love to take. And so it's really just about being aware of what some of those things might be. And it's not always the most obvious Thing. Yeah, that's that's really good. Um, one one thing, and I and I absolutely absolutely agree. Um, you got me thinking about. Uh, have you heard of the the phrase "halt"? I'm not sure. I don't think so. Hung, uh, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Oh yes, I have heard of this. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So like for me, like uh, I'm hungry. Well, <laughs> I can tend to work right through whatever you know and just forget that I I need to eat, and then uh, the next thing I know, I'm I'm pretty grumpy and. Uh, then I'm responding to somebody uh, in an email or whatever in not the nicest way, and yeah, that's that's not good. Um, yeah. Or then I'm angry, uh, or I'm I'm lonely. Uh, tired is a big one with you know um, fighting against just realizing, hey, nighttime not a good time to have my phone anywhere near me, you know, and and that's just part of awareness. Um, And uh, yeah, I I think that that's really good. And I I think having time, you know, for for guys who are in some sort of writing or uh, ministry, preaching, counseling, just just having a time every night where you can like decompress and then having a day where you can do that. I know for me, that's like been so helpful, you know, because, you know, we're both content producers, Jared. And, uh, you know, I know for me, if I don't have that, like, I, I'm just going to keep pushing through, but I'm not going to be like doing my best work because I'm not really abiding in Christ. I'm not really enjoying that time to, to rest and, and just to, just to be another dude, you know, um, in Christ. And so that, that's been really huge for me. And that's helped my anxiety, my, my depression so much. Just, just realizing that I need to be still before God and it's okay. It's not to, in my small group or what, whatever at church, I don't have to be that person. Like I don't have to, I can just go and, and be there and I don't have to necessarily contribute to any discussion. I can just enjoy it. Um, gotcha. yeah, that's too. been, that's been really big for me. And I would just say that for other people, that would be something to consider. Gotcha. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. How do we diagnose the lies of Satan and address them with the hope provided to us by Christ in the Word? Yeah, so one of the things I do in the book is go very, um, uh, is go to the very heart of temptation and sort of the, the original lies I see in the temptation of Adam and Eve, uh, that, that dialogue between the serpent and Eve, really kind of the DNA uh, of sin and sort of the, the tantalizing, uh, plausible argument, so to speak, of, of the devil today, things that we may be tempted to, uh, to believe. And uh, so what we know in the original temptation of that, of that forbidden fruit is, uh, is three things, essentially. Um, Eve saw that it, that it looked good for food, so it promised to satisfy uh, her physical hunger, but it, it promised to satisfy her. It, it was a delight to the eyes, so it held out a kind of beauty. Uh, it was captivating in that sense. Um, and it promised to make one wise. You know, the, the serpent says, uh, you'll be like God if you, if you 
after you eat this. And so it was desired to make one wise. There's a sense of enlightenment. So there's three things there now. Satisfaction, beauty, and enlightenment. And those are the three things that every human being has been trying to chase <laughs> um, ever since the you know uh, that moment. We've been trying to find a kind of satisfaction. We've been trying to be enthralled or captivated by uh, by something beautiful, something uh, compelling, uh, you know, a sense of glory is essentially what we're looking for. We're looking for, you know, for, uh, for beautiful glory. And then a sense of enlightenment that we have, an, uh, we have the truth or we have a kind of wisdom or a secret knowledge um, that, that we're clued in to how things are going, the, the meaning of life or something like that. So those three things are the root of every, um, of every human heart, uh, you know, the search that we are on. And, and it's the root of every sin, when, you know, every sin that we choose, uh, whether we're a Christian or not a Christian, every sin that we choose <clears throat> is essentially... Um, trying to set to either satisfy us to be captivated by beauty or to find some kind of enlightenment and so by diagnosing that we're able now to see um, the antidote which is essentially um, that all good things find their summation in the person and work of Jesus Christ that he is the apex he is the end-all be-all he is the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end and, and the only satisfaction that we will find eternally is in Christ. Um, he says to the woman at the well who, you know, she just went to get some water for the day, but he knew the spiritual hunger that she had. Um, he says, I, I, I give you water, you'll never thirst again. Or in John chapter 6, he says to the crowd who's come to get their bellies full and maybe to hear some good, you know, little teaching. He says, if you really want to live forever, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. So Christ is holding himself out as the eternal satisfaction. Satisfaction as the bread of life for us. Um, in terms of beauty, there is no one more glorious than Christ, right? So again, Paul in 2 Corinthians saying that it is his glory that transforms us, um, that there are immeasurable riches in him. And then in terms of enlightenment, we're always looking on for um, the, the, this meaning, something to kind of you know give us cause to go on and get, clue us into the secrets of the universe. And here is Christ himself saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no one is going to get to those things. The reconciliation with the Father is what we're really yearning for uh, because we are alienated from him by our sin. And the only way through is Christ himself. He is the word. He, he is enlightenment um, that, you know, that we've been looking for. So the gospel corresponds then at every point to these three fundamental desires that we have um, ever since the fall. Yeah, that's that's. That's really well said. Really well said. Well, Jared, where can people go to find out more about your work online, either on social media or otherwise? Yeah, so um, Jared C. Wilson is my authorial name. And so um, Twitter, Instagram, uh, you can find me at, uh, at Jared C. Wilson. Um, I, my website is jaredcwilson.com. And uh, that's got my speaking schedule. It's got an overview of, of all my books. Um past and future and um, has a, a way to contact me if anyone you know, would be interested in um, having me speak at their church or event or, or, or anything like that. Um, that's really kind of the one-stop shop is jaredcwilson.com. Wonderful. We're, we're still all waiting for you to get that blue uh, check mark next to your name and <laughs> on Twitter. I know that's a joke, but yeah. 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 yeah, well, you know, I think uh, I've decided to say that not having the blue check mark is the new having the blue check mark. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. 
That's yeah. awesome. Well, Jerry, uh, just as we wrap up this conversation, you know, there, there's a lot that we could really talk about about this subject. And do you just have any takeaways you'd like to leave with our listeners? Yeah, I think the main takeaway that I would offer, uh, you know, I've written this book, The Gospel According to Satan's, and uh, it really is about how the devil is trying to pervert the sense of truth, um, how he'll, he'll, he'll pervert even the good news in ways that might even sound good to us. Um, and so all of that is very dire and it's very dangerous and it's very urgent. Uh, but the fundamental thing that we need to remember is that the devil is, is, is himself on borrowed time. Uh, that uh, Christ has already secured the victory over the, the forces of evil at the cross and uh, the power of death and his resurrection. And he is coming soon and he will vanquish the power of evil forever. So we don't need to be afraid um, about how things are going to end up, that um, the devil will be crushed. Um, he, 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 yeah, he will be uh, condemned eternally um, in, in hellfire. So um, that's, I think, the, the biggest takeaway <laughs> is as, as urgent and as, uh, as as dutiful as we need to be to keep our eyes on, on, on the gospel. We need to, um, you know, we don't need to have an anxiety or, or a fear. We've not been given a spirit of fear, um, but a reverence for the Lord and understanding that um, the devil's days are numbered. I don't think I could have said that any better, so that that's that's really, really <laughs> well. Huh? I said, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that, that, that'll preach all day long. So, amen. Well, Jared, I, I really, uh, really appreciate your, your time today and uh, all, all the work that you do. Um, you're very appreciated. And, and so may Christ continue to richly bless you, brother. Yeah, thanks so much, Dave. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful to always talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.